The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of privacy issues, and we happen to have with us one of my favorite guests that we've had on several times, and he's back again, Robert Ellis Smith, who is the publisher and the privacy guru of Privacy Journal. Um, He is a journalist who uses his training as an attorney to report on individuals' rights to privacy. And he's been doing this since 1974, when he first started publishing the Privacy Journal, which is this monthly newsletter that I've been getting for many, many, many years. And it's a newsletter on privacy in a computer age, and he's based in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, which I even had the pleasure of meeting him there when he had a conference there years ago. Robert is a frequent speaker, writer, and congressional witness on privacy issues, and he has compiled a clearinghouse of fantastic information on the subject, including computer databanks, credit and medical records, the internet, electronic surveillance, the law of privacy, and physical and psychological privacy. His first book was Privacy, How to Protect What's Left of It, and it was nominated for a National Book Award in 1980. He has other books as well, and you can find out a lot more about the great work that they are doing and even get the newsletter online or still hard copy as well at privacyjournal.net. Thank you so much for joining us, Bob. Good to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah, you are just oh, oh, such a wealth of information. And I just was telling you before we started how I got such a big kick out of uh, the March newsletter where you talked about um, the late Antonin Scala, uh, Scalia with you and when you were just a whippersnapper right out of law school and you were a journalist and you went to, I think it was the University of Chicago, right, to, right. to hear him speak. I, and and uh, you were talking about 
uh, privacy, and he was stating that corporations had a right to privacy, and you kind of told him a little bit different. So tell us that story, because I loved it. Well, this was a roundtable discussion uh, uh, with many of the faculty members at the University of Chicago who have always uh, had their unique brand of, of law policy, and they had their own views on privacy, even though other principles really had been developed uh, without them in those years. And they invited me, and I was new at all of this, uh, though I'd studied a lot about privacy. And I knew enough that privacy was uniquely uh, uh, a human right uh, it was possessed by human beings. It has to do with personal autonomy and and uh, not just secrecy. And so uh, the courts have said that uh, uh, privacy does not extend to corporations or government agencies. That they may have an interest in secrecy, but it's not a right to privacy. Uh, Scalia uh, insisted otherwise, and uh, I think he was just kind of a newcomer to the field. And and but that didn't mean he wasn't insistent. He he thought that privacy did apply to organizations and uh, he kind of shot me down on it and he got some backing from a, a, a faculty member named Richard Posner who became a very prominent judge in the uh, federal circuit system. Uh, he's sometimes regarded as the uh, 10th Supreme Court Justice because he is so influential. Um, so that was sort of the end of it. The Chicago School, as they used to call their little parlay, uh, believe that uh, the right to privacy did extend to organizations. And uh, the, the court cases came along uh, that continued to say that it did not, and including one that reached the Supreme Court fairly recently, uh, and uh, it involved uh, AT&T communications carrier. And uh, when the court ruled uh, with Scalia in the minority saying that uh, there was no right to privacy by corporations, uh, Chief Justice Roberts said, I, I hope, AT&T won't take this personally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I had prevailed, and that was my private little battle, intellectual <laughs> battle with uh, Antonin Scalia. Yeah. I thought it was very typical of him. I thought he, he was very persuasive to people, but I think basically wrong. When you looked, when you re- read his <laughs> stuff a second time, you found out that it probably didn't conform to other legal principles. Right. It's it's funny because Dean Chemerinsky, who is the dean of the um, the law school here at University of California, Irvine, has constantly said that about Scalia. <laughs> yeah, the and, experts have. The New yeah. York Times reporter during that period, the New Yorker's reporter for that period, uh, uh-huh. said that uh, indeed he is a very impressive intellect, but he was wrong on a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, but he had a great sense of humor when you hear him in person. You know, he really he was, was very personable. Yes. Yeah, he was personable and witty, and I thought I thought it was so funny and interesting that um, he was like best friends with a Badger, right? You know, she was such a liberal, and um, he such a conservative. It was really kind of a beautiful. It was thing. an odd fellowship, yeah. Yeah, uh, they both liked opera. That was one thing. And they <laughs> both liked the law, I guess. Yeah, but it was nice that they didn't argue outside, that, you know, that they could really intellectualize, but then let it go and be friends. I think that was really kind of uh, beautiful. Um, You have to kind of admire them both for that, right? Right, indeed. So let's talk a little bit more about privacy. You know, like I said, I 
just really enjoy every month getting my newsletter. It's the only thing like it around, and you you really keep me up to date and um, and talk about some really important things. Yeah. So w- here we are in 2016. Uh, what what are we what are we seeing moving forward in the world of privacy and privacy protection? Yeah. Well, in publishing the newsletter, I've always tried to. Uh, uh, exercise journalism as a, as opposed to uh, a lot of rhetoric and and to get both sides of the issue talking to each other or at least reading the same publication so it is edited to reach people who average people who are interested in privacy civil liberties people but but also uh, data managers and uh, those who are responsible for the new technology and law enforcement and uh, corporate people and and uh, so that they can at least same use the same language when they speak about privacy and just leafing through current issues, you see that uh, certainly ID theft is a is a major issue. We haven't resolved that <laughs> epidemic, uh, I think perhaps because of a lack of willingness on some people's part. But uh, the uh, stealing of information so that uh, another individual can pretend to be you and either get credit or get medical services or get other benefits uh, continues uh, at an epidemic rate. And uh, so that's something that's certainly got to be addressed. And the first cousin to that problem is that of hacking or stealing uh, information, uh, call it a breach of data security, where uh, hackers quite often from outside the country uh, can get into data systems and steal personal information that's stored there. That has not been a huge source of of ID theft, I think, that ID theft comes from other places, but uh, mainly from, I think, uh, uh, human relations, human resources, employment offices is where a lot of the information comes from. But that doesn't mean that it's not scary because it's uh, huge amounts of information that can be stolen uh, through these breaches. Most people became really aware of privacy, I think, recently since uh, the new year with... um, the uh, battle between the FBI and Apple over whether the FBI could compel Apple to uh, uh, crack one of its own telephones, get through its own security measures so that the uh, FBI could find out what information, if any, was on the telephone that was seized from the person who perpetrated the San Bernardino uh, terrorist killings. Mm-hmm. And uh, as many people uh, know, uh, uh, that was probably resolved within the... Uh, uh, just recently, uh, yeah. Just recently, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It was during the month of March that the FBI announced, and many of us had urged the FBI to do this long ago, but they found somebody who could help them crack it, and I think that resolved the constitutional uh, standoff that, that was going on. Uh, a lot of people who own Apple uh, phones probably know that uh, an attempt to use the password to get into somebody else's phone more than 10 times will result in the erasure of the data within the phone. Right. And the, the FBI wanted a way around that. That's what that was all about. And apparently they did find a way around that. There's a case on the East Coast as well uh, involving an FBI challenge as well. In that case, the judge said the FBI was not entitled uh, to the uh, compelling Apple. Right. On the, on the West Coast, uh, a magistrate judge said that Apple was compelled to cooperate. And I guess those cases are now moot right now. Right, right. But it, it looks like the FBI is still going to be able to use a hacker. I, I heard that it was the Israelis, that somebody, an Israeli firm, but I don't know if that's really the case. But I don't either. They're very sophisticated, the yeah, Israelis, about yeah. all of this. Exactly. So, yeah. um, but I, I 
I guess if they're going to get in there, it's better that it's not compelling a company to do that. But uh, we'll see what happens with all of these other cases. Yeah, this issue may come up again. I think it I think I probably will. Yeah, and I kind you know, I'm an iPhone user, so um, for me, I was very happy to see Apple take that stance. You yeah. Know, I felt good about that. Interesting that a lot of <laughs> Apple's rivals uh, supported them on this, too, and many people in the national security community uh, did as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about drones. You know, those really scare me, Bob. What What about you? Oh, I think they're scary. Uh, uh, more... Then, from a privacy standpoint, perhaps, but the th- uh, threat of accidents, I think, they're yes. just going to fall from the sky, I think, and injure people and kill people, uh, perhaps uh, start fires. Or cause, cause an airplane crash? I, I would imagine. I don't know whether an airplane can withstand a, a, a collision with a small drone, but uh, a larger drone, I think, could do real damage. So that's my first concern, that the skies are just going to be darkened with with these little bugs that are yeah. uh, self-piloted uh, uh, vehicles. Um, they um, also can be used with cameras, of course, and that that does raise a concern about privacy if indeed we're going to be faced with uh, a remote-controlled uh, uh, aircraft that can uh, settle down on our windowsill and take pictures and video of what's going on inside and then yeah. take off without our ever knowing it and without ever really uh, 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 permeating the the, uh, the the premises of our home. So that's a real problem. I'm more, even more concerned that they'll be used to carry weapons and that those who have them will claim there's some sort of a constitutional right to have weaponry on a on a drone. That hasn't happened yet, but I think we should anticipate that it will. So you're right to be scared, I think. I, I don't think they're adequately re- uh, regulated at this point. No, and, you know, they can be so tiny. And even the cameras, when you were talking just a minute ago about the cameras, I mean, the the drone can be the size of, like, an insect. So, <laughs> so you're getting undressed, right, in your house, and you think there's an insect out there. And meanwhile, there, you know, there's it's a little tiny camera in there. So I, I've read about that, and I just think it's That's a reality. Little, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was telling 3M because I do some work for 3M. I said you need to develop a a kind of you know how they have privacy screens for computers so that if you're sitting next to somebody on the on an airplane they can't see. I said you need to do that with Windows now so that yep. I can see out perfectly, but that you know it looks that they can't see in. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Well, that kind of glass certainly is available, and we'll see. People might want to start installing it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, yeah. they can make it like a louver so that, you know how they have the privacy screens are almost like louvers, so you could make it, if you want to open it up that people could see in, you could, and if you want to close it, you can close it. So, yeah. I mean, that would be kind of a neat thing. That reminds me <laughs> of a theme that's very prominent more in Canada and, and Europe, um, the concept of what's called privacy-enhancing technologies. There's no uh, rule, you know, that says that privacy has to, uh, or technology has to invade privacy. Right. Most, most of the new technology does, but why can't we develop technologies that enhance privacy? And they are around. We just mentioned one of them. And that, mm. that's something that I think government and individuals and organizations ought to be fostering more and more of, the development of protecting privacy through um, technology, not necessarily through rules and regulations. Yeah, yeah. And even the idea of privacy by design that was that came out of Canada with, you know, the commissioner up there is just, you know, when you are creating something, 
create it, you know, into the actual development, you know, into the architecture of whatever you're building instead of having to try and do something later. It's like trying to put an air conditioner in a house that didn't have air conditioning, right? It's well, it's certainly the, more cost-effective. We know that. And it certainly does a better job of protecting privacy because um, it's designed within the technology as it develops. And thirdly, it reassures people when these new technologies are announced, if it can also be announced that uh, there, it has components that will protect privacy by design, that reassures people and makes them less nervous about the introduction of new technologies. And it's a value added, you know? Yes. Yes. I mean, for, for me, I use that even as an attorney mediator. So, you know, I'm different than a lot of others. I encrypt everything. I really protect your privacy. I keep a lot of things out of the court. I have private agreements. So, you know, I mean, I, I say it's a value added, really. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, a concept that has gained more attention in Canada than, than here, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's talk about the Internet of Things. That's another thing that is, I think, uh, coming quicker. I mean, it's already here, right? Yeah, I originally thought that wasn't a threat because of its name, you know, that it just involves things, not people. But, indeed, it, it, it can be very challenging. The Internet of Things is simply a network made up of uh, non-human objects like uh, soft drink machines or uh, telephone consoles or uh, automobiles or, or uh, refrigerators, uh, buildings, uh, refrigerators <laughs> buildings, and they communicate with each other. The soft drink machine t- tells the headquarters that it's running empty, and uh, the building uh, tells somebody, uh, probably not a person but a thing, that it's running low on fuel or that it's uh, the air conditioning is too high or too low. So uh, the more you have a system like this unmonitored by people, the more there are dangers of things going wrong, and uh, it also means that it can be very intrusive if it's not built in the right way, called the Internet of Things. Yeah, let's talk about that, because I think people think, well, what? You know, like, I remember when they wanted to put um, a smart meter on my house, and I was the last one in the in the neighborhood to agree to that, and, and it took San Diego Gas and Electric to come up here and show me that they had worked with, um, you know, the Privacy Commissioner of Canada to make sure that the privacy issues were addressed, and they literally spent time in my home with me explaining how my sensitive information would be protected because, you know, electric companies weren't used to worrying about privacy, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. This has gotten more attention in California than elsewhere. Why, I'm not sure, because there are so-called smart grids elsewhere yeah. uh, in, in the country, but that's um, a um, network that allows the utility companies to uh, alter not only the amount of uh, of a, a service that they provide, but also the rates depending on usage and time of day and that sort of thing. And, and monitor us. I mean, literally, absolutely. they yeah. can monitor. I, some of the things that worried me was like if I go on vacation and I'm not using a lot of electric, who has access to see that, right? To know that you're away, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was one worry. And then just, you know, to, to just kind of monitor what I'm doing when I'm doing it. You know, I just I, I just felt really, you know, self-conscious about that, to, to have them do it. And then to see if somebody wants to know what times of day that I'm home and when I'm not home. You know, yeah. when, when there's less electric going on or whatever. It just, you know, it just seemed 
creepy to me. And um, yeah, and there a good were example a lot of what we we're talking about. Where there there are regulations that address privacy, but uh, if the privacy is is addressed by the technology, it's much safer, more permanent for people, more reassuring, and that's what ought to be done in this case. Systems ought to be built that with privacy protections in them. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, the other thing that worried me is I remember, I don't know if you've had any of these problems on the East Coast, but uh, or at least where you are up in uh, Rhode Island, but we had, um, there was some kind of a problem, not last summer, but the summer before, where I was having actually a big meeting at my home, and all of a sudden all the electric went out, and it was because of something that happened in Arizona because of the smart grid. And that would not have happened had we not been on the smart grid. That it just it just threw out all of southern, you know, I'm like an hour south of LA, all the way down to the Mexican border. (laughs) We didn't have electric for about ten hours. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know that's another thing about the smart grid that I kind of worry about. Yeah. So, so what about banking? What do you what do you think about banking? I still am uh, so against any kind of debit card. Uh, you know, not an ATM card, but a debit card that can be used as a credit card. But uh, what do you, what do you think about? Well, what, what's I use going on? one, and it's w- without uh, any ill consequences. I I always test these things out uh, to make sure that they work the way they should and work in our interest. And I have not had problem with. Uh, debit cards, nor online banking either. Um, I think they both have been conveniences that uh, I've been able to use without uh, invasions of my privacy. A lot of people probably are getting in the mail now uh, debit cards with uh, a new chip in them. Um, This is supposed to provide additional security and make the uh, magnetic strip uh, um, obsolete. Whether they uh, invade privacy, I don't know yet. I don't know who studied it. Mm. So it was just introduced without probably much attention to the privacy implications of it. But that's something uh, to watch, this new uh, embedded chip that will be in uh, most debit cards before long. Yeah. What, what, what has caused you concern about Well, debit the debit card could be used online or by phone or by fax without a PIN. And uh, I've had a lot of people call me, and, you know, the money is siphoned out of your account immediately. It's not like a credit card where you get a credit card bill and you can dispute it. You've got 60 days to dispute it, and you're not paying it until the dispute is resolved, right? Whereas, yeah, on, And so I've had a lot of people, even my own daughter, who had money stolen out of her account, and then, of course, she didn't know it. Uh, which is why I tell people to set up alerts immediately with their bank. But um, a lot of times they'll they they say, well, we're going to give you your money back because that's the Electronics Funds uh, Transaction Act. But um, it's not like the um, you know the the Billing Act, the Credit Billing Act. And so you, even though you have supposedly sixty days, um, they could take the money. They may replace the money for a few days and then take it out again. And that's happened to so many people that have called me. So I don't like a debit card because I think it exposes me to problems. I'd rather use a credit card. I'm safer. I can get cash back that way too. I can get points, whatever. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually safer using a credit card now. I've noticed. Like in Europe, they really use the um, the chip everywhere, but you have to use a chip and a a pin in Europe. Right. And here, the my new cards are all just chip, um, but it takes a lot longer. 
but I, you know, hopefully it's safer. But I'm not really worried about my credit cards because of the Fair Credit Billing Act. I'm never going to pay something that is um, fraudulent. I just won't ever worry about it. It doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a key difference between the two. They look alike, but there's, that's a key difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I agree with you about online banking. Let's talk about what are some of the things that we can do when we do online banking. I love an- online banking because I think it's safer than writing a check, don't you? Uh, let me think. I think it is, yeah. I think it is. Uh, you can reverse um, transactions. You can certainly get uh, um, uh, what we used to, what do we used to call it when we stopped payment on a check? Stop yeah. payment order, yeah, I guess. Yeah, stop payment. You, <laughs> yeah, you, can get, you can get that instantaneously on, uh, on online banking. I don't think of any negative consequences. I uh, was told uh, originally that Social Security numbers were transmitted with payment uh, amounts, but that isn't true. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, I think it's it's safe. I uh, once again I, I approach these technologies cautiously and want to make sure that there are no hidden privacy problems. And I haven't had any problems with with the online banking. Yeah, I like online banking too. And then I I always tell people set up alerts so that anytime there's an electronic transfer, that you get a, a, a you know a text message or or an email or a phone call something right away because you know there are dirty insiders unfortunately there are people who could transfer money and so you want to at least be aware of it if you know but that could happen even if you don't do online banking right let's talk about facebook everybody talks about i mean i'm on facebook all my friends are on facebook it's it's wonderful but there's also some dangers what what do you think about facebook well you probably know more about it than i do because i have not uh, joined (laughs) facebook um i i've been very displeased about their privacy policies First, for a lack of privacy policies, and when they started to develop them, they used to change them so <laughs> rapidly on you, and right. they, they're they're hardly intelligible. They go on for pages and pages, and I don't think anybody understands the, the privacy policy that uh, Facebook has. I think it's almost impossible to discontinue Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think it generates a lot of photographs of people that they're going to live to regret that are uh, right. that are, are taken uh, in moments of weakness and uh, people forget that they're up there and uh, I think that uh, certainly on public Facebook pages employers and college admissions people are going to have access to that and uh, draw negative conclusions about people it may be a time waster too I just don't know uh, I not being a user but uh, seems to me there's an awful big investment of time to tell people about the trivial aspects of our lives. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> well, for me, you know, I did it to test it like you like to test things. I, yeah. I did it to test and uh, to see what my kids are doing and to see, uh, you know, a lot of things. For me, like I had au pairs from Denmark help me raise my kids when they were little, and now they have kids, and so here I can see their kids and communicate with them without trying to get a letter to Denmark or Sweden, you know? Yeah, I, th- I don't understand why it's not possible with email and Skype and texting uh, that uh, Facebook seems to put you in touch with people you might not want to hear from that much. Uh, I'm quite happy with uh, <laughs> Skype and text and email. That that uh, seems to serve my needs for not only yeah. communicating with friends, but getting announcements of things that I care about. Yeah, I think I think for me it's fun, but I do have to limit. Like I do it early in the morning and late at night, and that's it. 
because if you do it all during the day, you you get crazy with it. So you have to yeah. limit your time and also limit what you put up there. We yeah. just have a couple more minutes. I just want you to tell a little bit more about Privacy Journal before we end, and um, just you know what what they can find and a little sure. you know tell them the website. Well, I not only try to inform people, but keep them interested. So I have interesting new aspects about new technology, and I talk about people who have been victimized by invasions of privacy and quite often the techniques that people use to protect themselves. It's available uh, monthly either by uh, email or or hard copy. I'm really encouraging people to get it by email. Uh, It's uh, used by a lot of libraries, a lot of law firms, a lot of computer manufacturers, uh, a lot of large corporations subscribe as well. And uh, it's a mix of uh, new court cases, of um, new uh, uh, legislation in Congress and in the state legislatures, new technology that affects privacy, and also new public attitudes. I like to uh, report on polling uh, that tells how people's attitudes on privacy are, are changing. It's called Privacy Journal. The, the website is privacyjournal.net. Uh, I have some uh, additional information on the website, including uh, advice for people, some of our advocacy. We rate the states and how effective they are in protecting privacy. Uh, we uh, have some model policies for companies on uh, video surveillance and other, other aspects. Um, we also published some other things, a, a compilation of state laws on privacy. There are more than 700 now, so you really do need a book to keep track of them. Right. Yeah, we update that uh, um, uh, yearly, and we have a directory of uh, professionals in the field that might be of help to people as well. It's a terrific. I, I love it. I get it every month, and I just love to have you on and stay in touch. Too bad we live so far away, but I just exactly. re- Yeah, but thank you so much, and we will have you back again very soon. Thank you, Robert Ellis Smith. Thank you so much. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. In the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy thanks stay private the opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI its management or the UC Board of Regents